Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week I'm talking with Susan Baroncini Mo. I had the opportunity to hear Susan speak about a week prior to this recording at the Indianapolis-based social media design, technology, and marketing conference called Mix West. If you want to see more about that conference, go to mixwest.com and check that out. Get that on your calendar for next year. It was an awesome time. But again, I was able to see Susan present on her book. I had also read the book. And so her book, Business in Blue Jeans, may not be what you think it's about. And we will get into that and what it really means about creating your own work style. Well, this week, it is my pleasure to bring to you Susan baroncini Mo, and she's local. I didn't know that till just recently. She's down in Indianapolis, which is about an hour south of me. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks for having me, Eric. It was honestly a great privilege and a pleasure to, in, in the reworking of the rescheduling of this interview, to suddenly realize you were going to be speaking at Mix West last week, and to be able to actually get to meet you in person before we had this interview. And that was unexpected. That was really cool. Yeah, I was really surprised when I, of course, I had seen your face in social media, as one does. And then when I saw you in the in the crowd, I was like, hey, hey, I know that face. <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool. And I was really happy to meet you, too. Yeah. So it's the best so. thing about doing speaking engagements like that, right? Like you get to actually meet people that you've talked to in social media, or you've met online somehow. I love it. Yeah, I especially love talking with somebody that maybe I've met before in di- the digital space and then to finally, you know, meet them face to face and you feel like you almost kind of already know them, you know? I do know. In fact, that's actually how my husband and I met. Oh. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we met online. He was in he was in England and I was here and and he was he's Uruguayan, but he was living in England at the time. So, we actually met online first and then got to know each other. That's really cool. Now, you wouldn't think so, but I am an introvert. And so for me, that really helps because to being able to meet somebody online and talk to them without having the usual, you know, you have to look them in the eyes and face to face and all that kind of stuff. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? (laughs) I am an extroverted introvert. (laughs) (laughs) So I love people. I love talking to people, getting to know people. I love events where I'm around a lot of people, but they do tend to exhaust me. So I actually recharge when I get home. And and if I have a big event, like there's a conference or a trade show or something like that, where I have to be on a lot, I require a lot of downtime. So, you know, there's always that, you know, thing where people are like, can I take you to dinner? Can we go have coffee? And you're thinking, oh, my God, I have to recharge. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I try to do that, too. And I even think all right, I'm going to take like a day before the conference or a day after the conference because sometimes those things where people want to take you to coffee are some of the best parts of the conference themselves to be able to like, you know, solidify some of those relationships or even start them for that matter. So, so yeah. It's so true. And yet I find myself completely exhausted at the end of a a day of socializing and interacting with people. And I don't do as well when I'm that tired. So <laughs> sometimes I'll go, sometimes I won't. But but I have to do. You have to. I think you have to know what's best for you, and you have to know 
if you're doing that thing that, that works best for you. You have to really pay attention to what your, your body and what your soul is calling out for. Yeah. And really figuring out, you know, your work style, which again, actually kind of is a nice segue into the book. <laughs> Yay, the book. <laughs> <laughs> so your new book, it came out, what, May, I think? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, June. So it's pretty recent, and it's called Business in Blue Jeans. And some people would look at that title and think, oh, it's just about being an entrepreneur. You, you know, you work from home, and you can, wear, you can wear your jeans, or you can wear your pajamas, or even your shorts, or and work from home and just have your home office. But that's not what the title really is referring to metaphorically. What does it mean to do business in blue jeans? You know, it's funny. I actually, when I created that brand years ago, it was in large part because I, I previously had a really corporate brand and I was attracting clients that I didn't really enjoy working with. Because the way I work, I work best and most creatively when I'm in comfortable clothes. And so for me, that's jeans. And so I realized that I had to switch out of the corporate brand into a more casual brand that really reflected more accurately the way I work. And I really just like rolling up my sleeves, getting into a business and figuring out what's not working and making it work. So that's what I love. However, over the years, I realized that there's much more to the the concept than just what one wears. And, And so the book is really... It's about the, the metaphor of blue jeans, really what blue jeans represent for most of us, especially Americans, and also what the characteristics of blue jeans are. So for a lot of Americans, uh, you know, we all you know, have that one perfect pair of jeans that makes you look really good, it's really comfortable, it's adaptable because you can wear you can dress it up, you can, you know, be casual. And so these are all characteristics that I like in businesses. So I like businesses that make the people who are in the business, who are running the business, look really good. So my business takes advantage of what I do best and what I'm most passionate about. So I look good when I'm doing what I do because I do it really well and I'm happy when I'm doing it. And and so the other thing is that, you know, the business is adaptable as I grow and as I evolve. And and not only that, but but denim as a fabric is really, really durable and strong. And, And I think it's important that our businesses are durable and strong and that they last over time. So I wanted a, a metaphor that would reflect all of that, and, and heck, Business in Blue Jeans does exactly that. Yeah, exactly. I loved when I was reading the book and then even heard you explain it live, just that suddenly it clicked in my mind, like these two words, love, of work style was, was what I kept coming back to, that you want to make your business, whatever that is, even if you don't have a business, really, it's, it's making sure that what you're doing fits who you are and that you, you, you know, utilize your strengths. That's there. You can refer to the, the denim and the strength again. So I was really attracted to that idea and started to think about, well, what, what would it mean for me to have business or work that fit me uniquely? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the kind of goal of it. Like, I don't care what you wear when you do business. I mean, right. someone who wears a suit every day, they can, they can read the book. That's fine. It's, it's not really about what you wear. So it's a little deceptive. But, but it is about finding what works best for you individually. And that's why I made the subtitle, How to Have a Successful Business on Your Own Terms, in Your Own Style. Because what your life looks like is so important to creating a successful business. And it's funny, you know, even my sister is a dentist, and so she, you know, has a practice, and she's in business, but she doesn't really think of herself as 
you know, an entrepreneur or a business owner. She just, you know, thinks of herself as a dentist. And one day she said to me that she was thinking about, you know, they're, they're, they were selling their house, they were buying a new one. And she said, I'm thinking about if I want to rent that house, I've had some people interested, but it just seems like a lot of work and I'd have to have people fix the house when something went wrong and I'd have to always be asking them to give me the rent and I just don't know if I want that. And I told her that the thing I ask my clients first is, what do you want your life to look like? Because if you don't want your life to involve landlording, then you either are going to have to not be a landlord or you're going to have to hire someone to do it for you and manage that property for you. But ultimately, you have to decide what you want your life to look like first. And she was blown away by like, oh, my gosh, that's a great idea. (laughs) I'm thinking that's how we do it around here. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. The book, as you go through it, you start to talk about what are the different things that you need to consider or work on or make sure that you've got covered in order to formulate what's the best work style for you, how you can, you know, be wearing your jeans, so to speak, at all times. Yeah, I mean, your lifestyle goals, the way you run your business, what you want your life to look like, all of those things factor in. And also, you know, like the way you want to work. Like if you're an introvert, you may not enjoy being a person who is talking to people all day long. It might make more sense to find a business that doesn't require you to interact with as many people so that you can set up your life the way that is is most appropriate for you. Now, at the same time, I think it's important to not let, you know, your, your, you know, especially as an introvert, you have to be a little careful. We all have to be careful not to become hermits. So I encourage all my introvert clients, and, and I do have a substantial number of them, I encourage all of my introvert clients to, you know, make sure you're getting out and interacting with people, at least some so you don't, you know, become a, a homebody too much. <laughs> <laughs> you have to practice being a human. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's good. Because it, I, I feel like, you know, as an introvert myself, I, I do feel like those things can kind of start to get a little out of control. So it's good to keep an eye on it and, and make sure, you know, make sure you're still interacting in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I really, that well, a number of things stuck out to me, not only from reading the book, but hearing your presentation and I'd love to touch on some of those things. Uh, one of the first ones is this idea of brain junk. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, brain junk is the, you know, all that mental baggage, or, or I also call it cerebral clutter, all that stuff that gets in our way when, you know, we're out in the world and, and you know, we're trying to do something. Whenever you're trying to start a business, there's always a voice in your head that says, you know, maybe you are not, you know, maybe you don't know enough or maybe... You know, like we, we all have these voices, you know, some of them say, you don't know enough, you're not smart enough, you'll never make it, you know, it, success is not for you. I've heard all kinds of things from my clients. And, and so, you know, we have to deal with that brain junk because it can sabotage you from the very beginning. It, it can even define how you, you set up your business. It can define the branding that you create. If you, you know, even the way you think about your business, maybe you think that your business could only be a local business, but you might have national potential or even international potential that you're not even recognizing because your brain junk tells you you could only be small time. So brain junk is super important and, and it can actually really get in your way and, and stop you from ever being successful. So it's important to deal with it. Well, well what are some of those ways that we can start to deal with that? Some of those fears and doubts and just untruths that, that we believe about ourselves or the, the world? Well, I think the first thing is to be clear about what your brain junk is and to be aware of it. I, I always listen when, when I'm working with a client. Sometimes it, it does take working with someone to help you, to help you identify what that brain junk is, but, but I like to listen for the, the clues in my, my client's language. So, you know, when you, when you start to say things like, I could never, 
or I don't know how, or I'm, I'm not sure if, and, and there's a lot of doubt, you probably do have brain junk. And, and the first place is to, um, to start recognizing where it is and what it is. And then there are a lot of exercises you can do, like, you know, the, there, there is one thing I call grasshopper mode, which is where we all think we're really small, especially compared to the giants in our industry. And if you recognize that we all have giant moments and we all have grasshopper moments, meaning where we're, we're very small, even even those people who are really successful in the world, I, I talk to them all the time. They're my friends. They're, you know, my, my peers. And, and I know that we all have those moments when we feel small and we experience doubt. So the difference is knowing how to manage it. And, and it starts with really knowing what the junk is, and then starting to address it. So, for example, one exercise that we talked about at that presentation was the positive equivalence uh, uh, strategy, which is basically for two days you take a notepad and a pen around with you and you write down anytime you have like a negative thought. Like if you think, oh, I'm not smart enough to do that, or you think, oh, I can't believe I did that, I'm so dumb, or, or I can't believe I made that mistake, how careless of me. You write all those things down. And then after two days, you look for the patterns in that list that you've made and don't judge if it's too big or too small. Like I, I've had clients who've had pages and pages after two days. That's not the issue. The issue is what are the recurring patterns? The amount of negative uh, stuff that you've thought over the last two days, like how many pages you come up with, really just tells you how ubiquitous it is in your head. So don't worry about how much there is. Just worry about what the patterns are. And then you write those down on the left side of a piece of paper. And then on the right side of the paper, for each negative thought pattern that you have, you write down the positive equivalent. So I, m one of mine is I'm always running into stuff, so I always think, ah, oh, I'm so clumsy. So my piece of brain junk is I'm so clumsy. That's the recurring thought pattern. Um, and then the, the positive equivalent is because one of the things I work on is becoming more aware of my space, and I do yoga and all kinds of other things to become more aware of my body and where I am in, the, in space, and also to become more mindful when I'm you know, and more present in the moment because I tend to get in my head. So my positive equivalent to I'm so clumsy is I'm becoming more mindful of my space. And so anytime, so you, so you take all of those negative thoughts and their positive equivalents and you write them down on a three-by-five card that you carry around in your pocket. And anytime you have one of those negative thoughts, you whip out the card, you look at the, positive, the, the negative thought, you look at the positive equivalent, and then you meditate for a minute or two on the positive equivalent. Now, it's best, I think, to work with one thought at a time because it's a little overwhelming to try to remember to whip that card out every single time. But, but if you do this consistently over 30 days and for every day, for 30 days. So if you miss a day, you've got to start over at day one. But if you do this consistently, then when you, when you get to around, you know, 30 days, your brain is going to, you know, shift. And so it'll happen gradually where over time, you know, you'll pull out the card, you'll meditate, you'll pull out the card, you'll meditate. And then over time, you won't even need to pull the card out. You'll just remember that I'm supposed to be thinking about this positive equivalent and you'll think of the positive equivalent. And over time, the positive equivalent will replace the negative thought that you had originally. And this is how we replace the negative thoughts and kind of get rid of them. Yeah, I I love this thought. I love these ideas of of weeding out the things that we've you know the, whether it's our own personal thoughts or it's maybe something that somebody told us you know a parent or something back in you know our childhood or or whatever you know not to get too you know sitting on the couch being a psychologist but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that it's those things that we don't even we're not even fully aware are holding us back. And just to, to sit down and take notice, have awareness, and to make that list, and then come up with the, the positive equivalent. And to be able to counteract those things 
and just reinforce that those things aren't true. And over time to weed them out, like, like a habit, like I'm not just quitting believing this one thing. I'm substituting it with believing this other thing. And that's awesome. There is an enormous power in it. And, and in fact, there's actually an enormous amount of power just in knowing whose voices you're hearing. So let's say, for example, that um, your mom told you growing up that you would never amount to anything. Anytime you hear in your head that you're not going to amount to anything or you're not able to do something or you can't manage something, just recognizing that that's not you and that's her saying that all that time, that's amazingly powerful because Mm -hmm. you stop believing it the second you recognize it's not you. When you start recognizing your own voice in the midst of the sea of all those little pieces of information you've acquired over the years, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, definitely. Another piece that you talked about was the list of 100, which, again, isn't necessarily – you explained it that it's not really like a a bucket list, so to speak, but it's like uh, it's okay to want things. If you don't actually say you want things, you won't ever get anything you want. Yeah, it's funny. The the list of 100 is basically you make a list of 100 things in life that you want. And I don't like the bucket list because it's it basically is framed in the context of what do I want to do before I die, which is so dramatic and it's negative morbid. to me. Like, I think, what do I want in life, right? Yeah. Which makes me think, I, I want to get on it now because it's, you know, my life, you know. Like, I don't want to just wait till I'm, you know, retired and do all the things then. I want to do them now. So what do I want my life to look like is our, you know, ever-present question. So that list of 100 is, is a part of defining that. And if you can't get to 100, I have a lot of people who, in fact, were at that event who have tweeted me and said, I can, I'm only at 35. I'm like, keep going. And, you know, it's, it, there's always a struggle. And, and, you know, you can get into the mindset, that, well, I just don't want very much. Yes, you do. That's just not true. If you don't want much materially, you probably want to have experiences or you probably want to give back to the world. And the list of 100 can be, I want to have a certain car. Like one of mine on my list is I I want to have a really nice apartment in Montevideo in Uruguay, which is where my husband's family is. So that's on my list. Um, You want to travel the world. You don't get to have one item for each country you want to visit. That's all one thing with, you know, subcategories. So don't cheat. But you, you can have experiences like I want to, you know, hold my baby in my arms. When I have a baby, I want to have a baby, and I want to hold that baby in my arms. Or um, I've had clients who said, I want to be able to give at least $10,000 a year to uh, increase AIDS awareness in Africa. Or I want to, you know, give 100 hours of community service in my own neighborhood. Or, you know, there are so many different things that you can come up with. And, you know, the, the idea of it is to expand your concept of the world and how big and beautiful and accessible the world is and and how many things you can fit into a lifetime and to allow you to recognize that that your life is your own to control and to choose how you spend it. Yeah, definitely. One of those things that, you know, it's good to have wants and needs and even goals that you make out of that list of 100, but when it comes down to it, you then still have to do self-management and manage your time and and know what tasks you need to do and things like that. And I know that uh, when I mentioned, hey, we're going to talk a little bit about productivity, when I saw you last week, you had said something about you were at like, what, 68% productivity at one point, and then did some things and got it up to a higher percentage. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? 
Oh, sure. Productivity is one of my favorite things to talk about. I work with corporations on helping their employees become more productive all the time. So it's really something I'm passionate about. And, and I think it's partly because I do believe in squeezing every single drop out of life that I can. So the more productive I am, the more I accomplish during my working hours and the more time I have guilt-free to enjoy the rest of my life. And really, my business is what makes the rest of my life possible after all. So when it comes to productivity, yeah, I started out at, well, the national average is about 60 to 65% productivity. And I almost feel like that's generous <laughs> but because um, we are not a super productive people. And so I started out around 68 to 70% productive. And I was actually surprised by that because I always thought of myself as a pretty productive person. But I started implementing some things like, for example, I actually now, the reason I know what my productivity was is I installed a tool. There's a great tool called Rescue Time. And it's a tool that you basically add to your computer and then it tracks how you spend your time. And so anytime that you're online, it tracks you. Anytime that you, um, you're you know, not on the computer, it'll ask you what you're doing so you p- can put in extra offline stuff. So it asks me what I'm doing and it tracks my time and it tells me what, I've, what my productivity rate is. And it tells you also how much time you're spending in various activities. So you know how much time you've let social media suck away. You know how much time you have spent with your clients or customers. You know all those things. So that alone helps me to become more productive just by tracking my time. There's another exercise that I did that one of my mentors gave me that was basically you, again, you know, with the notepad, (laughs) you keep a notepad and you have a timer that goes off every 15 minutes. Now, you do this for two days and it can become really obtrusive, but it's worth it to do it. Every 15 minutes, you stop what you're doing and write down exactly what you're doing. So maybe you are eating lunch, write it down. Maybe you are meeting with a client, you write it down. Maybe you are writing a blog post, write it down. So every 15 minutes, you write down what you're doing, and it really helps you to not only be more mindful of how you're spending your time, but to also pay more attention to where you're losing time because losing time is a big factor in productivity. You know, you lose time, you think you're being productive, but you're actually not, and, and there's a lot of busy work that happens that doesn't actually get you where you need to go. So being more mindful of how you're spending your time helps a lot too. Yeah, there are a lot definitely. of exercises like that. One of the things that I always ask every guest is, in an ideal world, how do you start your day? I would say I, I start my day in exactly the way I want to now. <laughs> I, mean, I, I already do that. Um, I, I spend every morning... Uh, I, we get up at 6 now. Uh, we didn't when I wrote the book, but now I've found that I love those early morning hours. They're incredibly productive times for me. So we get up at 6, and, you know, we have breakfast together. I enjoy spending that time with my husband. I think, you know, we have this weird culture where we don't spend that much time with our spouses, and I think that's weird. My husband and I both work from home, and so we spend a lot of time together. So we get up. We have breakfast together. We talk about, you know, what our day is going to entail um, it's a nice, relaxing breakfast, and we just enjoy each other's company, and, and that's really how I start my morning. I will say the big confession, I before I even get out of bed, I do check social media and I do check email just to make sure there aren't any emergencies or important things that I need to handle that um, can't wait. But for the most part, I've never actually had one of those emergencies, so I probably don't need to check it, but it helps me wake up. <laughs> right. You can connect with the community, see what's going on. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I can see that our time is coming near to a close. 
I want to say that we only touched barely on some of the stuff that you presented last week at the conference, as well as what's in the book. And so I want to highly encourage everybody to go check that book out, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. But could you tease us a little bit and tell us what's some of the other stuff that's covered in the book? Well, I feel like the book is kind of comprehensive. The book covers kind of all the steps. I wanted a book that would sort of approach all of the areas where your business might not be doing as well as you'd like. No matter what size your business is, no matter if you're starting a business or or you're in a business. So I really do focus on a lot of areas. The brain junk is a big one. I talk about the fire, which is the thing that your business makes possible and, and the things that you want most in life, as well as the thing you're doing that you enjoy doing and expertise, making sure you're good at what you do. I talk about packaging, which is both packaging your business into a successful business model and packaging your business into a successful brand. So we talk a lot about finding your target market, knowing who they are, getting to know them. Uh, I cover marketing, social media, customer service, and marketing with conscience, which I think is important, giving back to your community and that sort of thing and how it can work from a strategic point of view. And building the village, which... I think every business, like every child, needs a village to make it successful. So I talk a lot about the village and how you build a successful village. So it's actually not that big a book, but there's a lot in it. And then there are additional resources on the reader website and also uh, in the community. That's awesome. And uh, I'm actually – I you, you were gracious enough to let me have a, a free copy, although you were handing them out to everybody that attended your session. But you signed <laughs> it. You were gracious enough to sign it. So I have one signed copy that I'm going to give to a random listener. Once you've listened to the episode, go to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com slash 42 will be this episode. And go ahead in the show notes there and just let Susan and I know – What's been your biggest takeaway from from this episode that you've heard so far? And then I will pick a random winner and get that book right out to you. Susan, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been awesome to talk with you today. Oh, Eric, thanks for having me. I had a great time. Anytime. Well, that wraps up another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to Susan for stopping by. Like I said, go ahead and go to the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 42 and leave a comment on what your biggest takeaway was for this episode, and I will draw a random winner to win a signed copy of Susan's new book, Business in Blue Jeans. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to leave us some feedback, go to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes where you can leave us a rating or review, and we will see you next time. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Find more great podcasts like How to Podcast, Clean Comedy, Once Upon a Time, Christian Worldview, and more at noodle.mx. Think, laugh, and succeed by subscribing to our podcasts at noodle.mx.